just got to take up that microphone and keep talking. All right. Yeah. I was just saying, I got I got a chance to listen to your 28th episode. Last I, episode, yeah, with Emily yeah, Stern. With Emily Stern. And uh, I was halfway through it. I was at the gym. I was like, hey, instead of workout music, yeah, I'm going to get motivated. Workout podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was right in the thick of all this brilliance and wisdom that was being espoused. And yeah. I got a phone call. I'm sure it was from my agent or something. Um, obviously. I mean, you're, yeah. you have this table full of residual checks in right, front of us. Right, right. My two-cent check <laughs> that just came in. I, I, I think I just got this two-cent check. I, I, You know, SAG spends more money sending out these checks Than by far. I mean, checks, think about yeah. that. I, probably, what did that cost them? Probably 18 times the amount of money. Yeah, because the stamp is 33 cents plus the envelope so. plus the printed check. So 17 would have been the correct math. Yeah. Shows how much I ever use stamps. Something like that. I'm old fashioned. I like to walk my mail to its destination. Yeah. You know I mean? Pony Express it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that. Thanks for listening to the gym. That's a a weird place to do it. But I used to listen to podcasts at the gym. You know. Oh yeah. If you're doing cardio, especially. But um, yeah, Emily was great, and she talked about how certain people, when they walk into the lobby, she knows they're going to book the role. Really. And you were the only person it. she was comfortable naming your name oh that's so kind and i actually i called you out and i was like is one of them danny and she was like yeah <laughs> because i've gotten to this point where i'm watching tv and i see a commercial i'm like is that danny i don't even think i don't even question anymore i'm like that's danny <laughs> oh that's hilarious you just like any guy in your category and that's what she said is you just own your category you own the room you do a great job you make everyone comfortable you don't you're not overly friendly and you just kind of get the fuck out of there yeah, <laughs> yeah just yeah. do your job yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to all that. Okay. Um, as you probably heard, there's one question that starts the podcast, and that sure. is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? Wow. You know, I grew up uniquely differently than most people. Really? My, my father was what we would call a traveling revivalist. So in the Judeo-Christian faith system, Christianity, mm-hmm. um, you have pastors who are kind of stationary. You have evangelists who are uh, people that travel to spread uh, a message by which they want people to agree with. Right. That would be called the gospel in Christianity. Yep. And then um, there are revivalists, and those are more like reformists, the people that come in and um, look at the system and say, hey, there's a problem, and it revolves around the individual, and we need to take personal responsibility. So I, from the day I was born until I was 16, when he passed away from brain cancer, oh, wow. I uh, travel on the road with my family and about 30-some other people, multimedia technicians, singers, truck drivers. And it was a bus and truck tour that moved every two weeks for 10 months for 16 Whoa. years. So it's show business with a little bit of God in it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Or yeah. God business with a little bit of show in it. <laughs> yeah, it was a per- perfect combination. I mean, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. So were you involved or were you just kind of like doing your homeschooling and living the road life. That's pretty much what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. My mom was a certified teacher. And so in my kindergarten years, mm-hmm. my brother and I were a year and 10 months apart. She helped us with that. And then pretty much by the time we got into uh, first grade, we had a teacher that was on the road with us. Yeah. In her junior high and high school years, up until my junior year, my dad passed. Um, I had four teachers on the road. Wow. Uh, my final year, my junior year, um, uh, there was a combination of video school that i had to do because it was getting more complex so you guys had like a traveling city basically we did man wow it it was it was uh it was a you know people have a tendency to think of those things as being like the steve martin movie years ago with the big tents and all that yeah and there's some you know i don't want to call it craziness but there is that radical nature of things in the south my dad was was um 
a unique dude, man. He was um, probably the purest soul I ever met in my yeah. life. Uh, genuinely uh, intentional. Um, he was not trying to ever make a name for himself. Uh, he did not care about the monetary system or making money. He mm -hmm. really wanted to affect change, and it drove him from, uh, you know, a very young age until 42 when he passed. Yeah, so. and I can see that reflected in you because, you know, you're a you're a big dude. You play a lot of like car dealers, and like, that's kind of <laughs> your category. But then I follow you on Instagram, and it's it's very spiritual. You're very in yeah. tune with love, and you know, kind of putting out into the universe what you want to receive, and. I mean, I can, I see that in our interactions. We, we met on an OnStar shoot, I believe. Which, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I've got a callback for OnStar Were we up in tomorrow. the mountains? Yeah. Yeah, We had right. a couple of days. I was a cop. Yeah. You were maybe just a driver. I don't know. Yeah, I was in a car. Yeah. But I remember- it was a fun shoot. You know, you're just, you're very, I don't know if Zen's the word, but you're very present. You're very there. It's very kind. Um, So I can see how that would trickle down from your father. That's great. Yeah, you know, uh, I, probably because of the way I grew up, people ask me, what was that like? That's one of the big questions they ask me all the time. Yeah. What was it like to grow up like that? And there were pros and cons. I mean, obviously, the obvious cons to start with um, were that I didn't have the opportunity to have uh, regular friends. Yeah, social life is Social weird. life was zilch. I was in church six days a week at right. some, you know, auditorium or gymnasium or church somewhere in the country and changing yeah, Different people weeks. every time. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you know, I there was no extracurricular activity, so I couldn't play sports. I couldn't take choir. I right. I was going to say there's no school plays. There was no music. There was yeah. nothing. I yeah. mean, there were singers that we traveled with that did music, but there was no training for me in it. So right. if I had a, a curiosity about something, there was nothing at my disposal. Yeah. And um, and that was really challenging for me when I got out of uh, high school and got into college. Well, because I imagine you didn't know the difference when you were a kid. I didn't. Yeah. You know, it's it, that was you're just born life. into whatever matrix you're born into right. or sub matrix in this sense. And, yeah. You know, and this was uniquely separated from the rest of the world in so many ways. But the, the 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 challenge getting out into the world and particularly in this industry is that I was at a great disadvantage without realizing it. Social yeah. skills, yeah. Um, uh, not having been prepared for like, you know, if I wanted to get into musical theater, which was something that was big in my heart because uh, music was my first love, was, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up taking dance classes or being involved. You don't have that foundation. There was no at foundation. All. Yeah. At all, yeah. But the the pros of growing up were seeing the country in a way that you never get to see unless you're a multimillionaire with no job for the rest of your right. life. Or you're retired in your right. RV traveling the world in your twilight years. That's right. Yeah. So so it helped me understand multiculturalism within sure. the demographics of this country. Um, and America's a beautiful, big, place. unbelievably beautiful. We're so blessed to have every climate, every culture. I mean, not every culture, yeah. but a very diverse swath of people in this country. I don't think you can find it anywhere else on earth. Yeah. Most people, you know, if they, if they can find money and time to go on a vacation or they make time, they think of going outside of the country. Right. And I've been around the world, uh, not nearly as much as many people, but a fair amount of places. And I still think the most beautiful place in the world is in Wyoming and Montana. Yeah, I mean, I would put Utah in there as well. Yeah. Like Zion National Park, yeah, Bryce right. Canyon. Rocky, that Rocky that drive Mons. around that area, like the West, is just like every corner. You're like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, this yeah. is real. It's like yeah. Dr. Seuss land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's amazing. So, what got the music? What got you like the bug? 
Because if you weren't exposed to it, or was it through the church? Well, you know, we traveled with this entourage of 30 people, and music was a a big core of what was taking place. There was a combination of music, and then my dad speaking, or seminar directors doing their seminars on the side. Uh, Sure. There there was always music, so I was surrounded by that. Um, But, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I was going to tell you that the two greatest gifts of my upbringing were introspection and personal responsibility, and I think that's what you see carried through my social media is I've always gone through life with a lens of how can I learn to be a better human mm-hmm. and how can I take those experiences and bring them to others so that we can um, all, I guess, as a family of humanity, grow yeah. and expand within ourselves. And music, I think because I was surprisingly uh, more of an introverted child. I was loud mm-hmm. and I was expressive. Were you an only child or did you have no. siblings? <laughs> yeah, I imagine there's some yeah. siblings in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my mom and dad got married at 22 and t- 20 respectively and had my brother at 22 and 24 respectively. Mm-hmm. A year and 10 months after that, I came along. Then there was a six-year gap and my sister Joy. Then my mom was 38 She had or 37. She had my sister Jenny. And two months before she turned 40 was Jessica. Okay. Uh, after my dad passed, my mom remarried a guy who had two kids. Yeah. So another seven. And I have 24 nieces and nephews, so it's a... So you got up there, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge Big family. family. That's great. Yeah. But but music was something that... I w- it was a language that I gravitated to, and at the time I didn't know why, but it was a way in which I could express myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very intense as a child, and I was very thoughtful... And I was also surrounded by this deeply introspective and challenging intellectually and spiritually environment. Yeah, I love that. I mean, what you were saying earlier, you're on the right podcast. I think you're a little further down the path. But this podcast, Model Behavior, is about trying to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And then to, I mean, not necessarily like be a role model, but yeah, like just the best way to enact change in the world is just to change yourself, I think. So that's in having these conversations. Yes, we're learning about modeling and acting and all that bullshit. But really, we're learning about how to act as people. So that's cool that you have brought that to the table. Well, and you know, what I would say is that um, I don't think it's so much uh, respectfully changing ourselves Mm. as much as awakening to who we already are and expanding within it. So I think a lot of people are trying to acquire traits or personify what they admire. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the best growth that I've learned for myself is to learn to embrace myself and um, expand within what it is that I come into understanding with from what other people bring to the table. Well, that's that's the seven-year-old question. It's like yeah. you're set up at seven to be this person. A lot of people divert from the path. Yeah. So the key, the change I'm talking about is changing back, you know, getting back to your true nature. Yes. Whatever fulfills you, whatever inspires you, whatever makes you tick. Yeah. You got to get in line with that or else you're not going to be a happy person. Yeah, we're on the same page. And then we're then we get into all sorts of you know, abuse when in all its various forms and yeah, yeah. it comes out when you're not in line with who you are and you're not happy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right on the money. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so music was a way for you to take this, you know, intense introspection and put it out into the world. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I was never driven and still am not, um, to, uh, play music to be seen and heard. It was mm-hmm. just a way in which I could communicate my voice. Yeah, and even to this day, uh, though I have a side job as a music director in a church, um, even though that it, it, there is an outlet for that, 
I've never recorded an album or any of those sorts of right. things because for me, I've always just played for an audience of one. Well, and, and yeah. being a, a music director at a church is, it's a very humble, professional avenue for music. You're not, right. yeah, you're not, you know, taking photos for your, the cover of your CD and you're not <laughs> trying to make a ton of money and get fans and Instagram followers. It's just um, a slightly larger forum than just you playing your guitar in your living room, you know? Sure. Which it sounds like it's sort of just your, like the language of your heart or whatever you want to pin it down to. Yeah, um, that yeah, that that's that's very well put. You know, I, I ended up going to college on uh, on a full music scholarship. Wow. And um, in my junior year, I had a girl that I was dating at the time, and she had graduated. She was a couple years older than me. And she called me up one night, and we were trying to date long distance, which is incredibly challenging. And yeah. she said, you know, you grew up in a bubble, and now you're in a Christian university on a music scholarship, and you're living in another bubble. It's like you, you graduated from one to the other. Which university? Uh, Liberty University. Okay, yeah. In Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah, yeah a little bit of a bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a bubble, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and she said... Um, here you are, you're a speech communications major on a music scholarship. Mm -hmm. You're traveling on the week in a singing group representing the school. Uh, you are a speech pathology minor and you're doing plays. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're all over the place. She said, it's, it seems kind of like you're scared like, yeah. and you're not really sure what you want to do. And she pegged me 100%. She said, look, why don't you take a semester off? Mm -hmm. You can always go back. Well, that just seemed like radically dangerous in the way in which I was raised. You know, yeah. I was like, well, that's so irresponsible. I'm right. not gonna do that. that means but, I'm dropping out? Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But there was such a cry for freedom in my heart. Sure. And I didn't even realize how much I needed to find my own voice at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I packed up my dorm room and drove across the country. Back to your roots. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I came to California, man. And um, I knew nothing. I knew nobody. I ended up. Uh, living in a one-bedroom apartment with four people and two cats, sleeping on the floor, couldn't afford a blanket, yeah. couldn't afford a pillow. Yeah. Um, my radiator was rusted out in my car. Oof. I ended up getting fired from Starbucks on Third Street Promenade <laughs> because my car would overheat every 20 minutes. <laughs> and even though I was a committed, on-time type of person, I kept showing up late because my car would break down on the 10. Yeah. And they ended up letting me go because I because you couldn't get I there. couldn't make there on time. <laughs> wow, I mean that's you should write yeah. a book. That sounds like <laughs> some like barbarian days shit. That's yeah. great. But yeah, so I I I came up the long hard way. I remember when I was living in that apartment, they had also run up. Her, you know, the, the, some of the guys that had lived there had a, a bit of um, um, a party issue. Sure. And they had before I moved there had run up the the phone. Um, uh, so to the point that the phone got turned off and so i joined central casting to try to get extra work yeah and i had a pager yeah and i would walk two blocks to the chevron gas, gas station and la brea and fountain uh -huh. and you know how hard it was it used to call in to try to get extra work because everyone's trying to call in to be that person to fit the specs right well, try doing that in a payphone when you got to put change in it yeah <laughs> just feeding so quarters I, and I would stare and at that payphone and just try my darndest <laughs> to get extra work yeah yeah. Was that just to pay, like, just to make money, literally, or were you drawn to the entertainment I industry? I just wanted to be involved in the entertainment industry yeah. in any way I could, and I knew nothing. Because it's funny that you know your girlfriend called you out and saying you're you seemed lost when you were bouncing around all these different disciplines in college. Yeah. But if you put 
speech pathology and singing and what was your major? Spe- a major of speech communications. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems like you're kind of triangulating what an actor is in a bit of a way. I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And so you do the classic like go west young man yeah. and you're drawn to LA. Yeah. But you knew probably very little of the entertainment industry. Yeah. And I dated a, a Christian girl for a long time who went to Christian high school, was like the spiritual prefect, went to sure. a Christian college. Yeah. And I'd be like, Robert De Niro. And she's like, who's that? Like, <laughs> she just didn't. Her world yeah. was very insular. Yeah. Uh, she had a crazy high emotional intelligence. But yeah, oh, it's just yeah. like that's that's her world. Um, so I could imagine that you came out here and just I don't even know if you had stars in your eyes. Was it just like. You landed here and we're like making it work. Yeah, I was so sheltered that just like her, you know, I was raised in such a strict environment that um, we weren't allowed to listen to any music that was non-Christian. Right. And even within the Christian music, we couldn't listen to anything that had drums in it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I didn't step inside a movie theater until after my dad died. Wow. I didn't see a movie in a movie theater until I was 17. So you had some catching up to do. A lot. In fact, the first movie I saw was Jean-Claude Van Damme in, <laughs> in was it Kickboxer? Yeah. yeah. Well, Not good... the best first movie to see. I felt like such a Or maybe a it's yeah. the best. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> You're like, movies are cool. Yeah. So I had you know, never heard Billy Joel. I mean, yeah. here I was in my you know early 20s, and I, I was so sheltered. Yeah. And I was so ill-prepared. One of the reasons why I didn't study... Um, music or theater in college was because uh, I had gone my senior year in high school was the first year I'd ever gone to regular school. Yeah, and it was such. Um, I had I had been raised in this environment that was very familial and very conversational, and like I said, introspective. Mm-hmm. And so every day we were in closed quarters. We lived in trailers, and like you talked about everything, and it was very thoughtful and kind. Yeah, and. Everything seemed so mean and rejection and judgment oriented. Classic high to, school, especially yeah. that generation when it's like bullying was probably at its peak. Yeah. You know? So I, without even realizing it, I developed generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And when I was in my freshman or sophomore year of college, I began to have heart attack symptoms. Whoa. And I would have pain down my arm and chest pains and all these things. And I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, like, well, you're in probably the most anxiety-inducing situation for someone with your upbringing could be in. Absolutely. You know, you're like a mouse who is living in this beautiful habitat that got put into a cage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's- so they end up misdiagnosing me in college. I finally went to the to the ER, and they misdiagnosed me with a thing called supraventricular tachycardia. Mm-hmm. And they had me on propranolol and indorol uh, in college. And when I came out here, I didn't have medical insurance. So I yeah. just went off of it. <laughs> And every once in a while, I'd have it at a job and I'd go back on it. And every time I go in to see a cardiologist, they would be like, well, you need to get back on your medication. But man, it's too bad you're on this at such a young age. Yeah. And uh, when I was closer to 28 years of age, I I used to, it was so bad, man. I never told anybody about it um, that uh, I got so tired of going to the ER and having them tell me I wasn't having a heart attack that I used to sit on the grounds of St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank where I lived. And I figured, well, if I have one, might as well be at a hospital. So you thought you were going to have one. You were just waiting for well, the day. Yeah, because some people have panic attacks where they literally freak out. Yeah. I had was such a – I had learned to suppress things so deeply, which is a common thing for men. Yeah. That I would never freak out in front of people. Mm-hmm. So where it went to me energetically was actually into my heart muscle. Yeah, you had phys- physiological had responses, physiological. not mental, not – you, right. you weren't spinning out thinking everyone's looking at me, everyone's laughing at me. You just – I was literally having heart attack symptoms. Yeah. And there's a whole story that if we could do a whole podcast about about how I overcame that naturally, right. 
Um, but suffice it to say, I had an incredible amount of fear from being sheltered and then being thrown in this big world. Yeah, and this sense. deep intensity and introspection that, um, yeah, that that I had to learn to grow through over the last ten years. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting that you then threw yourself into a world and a career that's so full of rejection yeah. and coldness yeah. and um, you know insecurity that. I can't imagine how maybe your ignorance just allowed you to transcend it and you yeah, were just yeah. like having minor heart attacks and not thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. But how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that, you know, you ended up doing what you do? I mean, you're a very successful commercial actor. You're on, I mean, you've been on general hospital. You know. I've been in general hospital. I have yeah. a recurring role in young and the restless. Yeah. 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 Um, 240 campaigns at this point yeah. uh, for commercials. You're so. a monster. Well, that's very kind. Um, you know, just trying to catch up to you, man. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think the nature of our design as humans um, reflects everything within the universe. And there is a creative force at work that is expanding in all directions at mm. all times in rapid fashion. Like that. So the, the nature of all that is, is creative. Mm -hmm. And there was just a deep desire within me always to be a part of that energy. I desired to affect change. And I saw from a very young age that being a part of creativity is in essence being a part of the creation of things. Yeah. And I wanted to play a role in that. You wanted to make. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to play. Play and make. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get from central casting to 240 campaigns later? <laughs> Man, it was a long journey. And I was yeah. hoping you were going to ask that because, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people that are getting into the business, maybe that are listening to this, or maybe yeah. some people that have been in it a while and they're discouraged and frustrated. And then you hear these stories of people that are having any level of success and you kind of give that weak little applause, but there's Good that, yeah, there's yeah. that feeling inside of you like, ah, I don't know if I want to like you because yeah. you're doing well. And let me tell you, I was the long, hard road. Yeah. Um, it didn't just start in humble beginnings and all of a sudden things exploded. It stayed that way for longer than most people stay in the business before anything happened for me. Right. And I had to learn a lot of things to even have whatever level of success it is that I'm having now. And I would say, man, like, you know, most of my life has been spiritual journeys, yeah. <laughs> but they've played a role into what has occurred in my carnal existence as an artist. And, um, the, the, to, to summarize it, I would say that it took me five years in this business before I even booked my first commercial. Really? Yeah. And you stuck it out. <laughs> yeah. In fact, what would happen was cause I would have all this panic. Yeah. I would just seem like I was intense, but inside I was just freaking out mm -hmm. and where it was normal for some people to walk into a room and be in front of a camera, no matter how many classes I took, my biology would take over. And that's the yeah. interesting thing about generalized anxiety you can't say to somebody that's in depression or to say to somebody that's having a panic attack, relax, snap out of it. No, it's the worst thing you can say. Well, there's nothing that they're choosing at that point. Right, yeah. Because the way your your body works is your, your conscious mind through experiences, thoughts, and words mm -hmm. programs your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And then once the subconscious gets directives, it goes to work. And over time, what anxiety and depression is, it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of mental programming that has now lodged itself into your biology. Yeah, it's all fear-based response. Your, your amygdala it firing. Is. It's it's all brain chemistry and yeah. neurochemistry. So the way in which I had to unwind that yeah. was to learn how to think differently, mm -hmm. which has been the life path 
of my life, uh, which is probably what you'll see in some of my social media, yeah. is how how can we think better? Well, um, it's interesting because yeah. you talk about you know growing up in a very insular bubble. Um, and I asked if you're an only child, which obviously you, that doesn't make any sense, but I was yeah. an only child. So I grew yeah. up in this very kind of my own little introspective insular world because I didn't have any yeah. brothers or sisters. I didn't have any like neighborhood kids I played with. I was very like, I like painted and drew and played in the woods by myself. Yeah, yeah. And I never had anyone telling me I was weird. So I kind of became weird. And then when I got to school, like I got to college, I was the most anxious person. You know, I've talked about this before, but like when you have to introduce yourself at the, for, on the first day of class, and you say like, oh, my name is Michael. I'm from St. Louis and I like dogs. Like, <laughs> I would watch it go around the room and approaching me and I would start to like have physiological responses. Absolutely. And I would clam up. I would stutter. I would choke on my words. Yeah. And then I got to LA and I started going to audition rooms and doing the same fucking thing yeah. and trying to book work. But I sort of had to reprogram the way I thought about presenting myself and being on the spot. And it's not... I mean, maybe for some extroverts, it's a natural thing, but for me, it was not natural. Yeah, you know, I, I had this, I think the word is dichotomy. It was, there was a deep complexity because I was raised to be in front of people. And right. from a baby onward, every two weeks, we were presented, you know, as the new guys on the scene or whatever. Yeah. And so you knew how to stand up and be in front of people at all times. But I didn't really learn who I was. Mm. I knew how to be presented and be presentable. So we had to be thoughtful. We had to be great orators. So when I came into this business, I could I could step into a room and I never seemed like I had anxiety. Yeah. But what I seemed was intense. Yeah. And that didn't sell. Right. And I couldn't figure out what was going wrong. Like I thought, I'm, I'm being talented here. Why yeah. are people not picking my talent? What was happening was that they were rejecting my energy. Yeah, because you're you're intense and you're focused, but you're not open and vulnerable and absolutely not owning necessarily who you are. And that comes kind of circles back to the question of like, you know, especially in the commercial world, you have to just present yourself like this is me. Yeah, you have to be a very real person, and then you take on a role. Yeah, but it's that weird, like you said, dichotomy between being a real person and then playing a role. Yeah. And it sounds like you're playing a little bit of a role when you got in front of those crowds as a kid, but you weren't as self-actualized with the real Danny, you know? But then you, by marrying the two together, finding yourself, presenting yourself in a more open, vulnerable way, and then you book the roles. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I was telling you, the, the, the first, it took me five years to book a job. I'll never forget the first commercial I booked was for Target. Mm -hmm. Casting director was Susan Tyler, who's mm -hmm. no longer with us, but the sweetest lady. And she called me on my phone and she was so excited because she knew I hadn't booked a commercial yet. Yeah. And she said, hey, I've been talking with the ad agency. And th this is, you know, in the day when they actually ran things national networking and made money. And she said, they're planning <laughs> yeah. on running this for a year <laughs> and you're going to make $100,000. And yeah. I was like, you know, here was a kid that like I had lived on the floor. I, yeah. you know, like I had nothing. I had, I had every struggling scenario you can think of. That was me. And I had no money to fall back on. Right. As lovely as my family is. I didn't have a father. I didn't grow up in money. So did your, did your family think you were crazy? They thought I went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously because yeah. you're out in like, like hell city. Oh my goodness. Everyone yeah. in my family uh, at that time went into ministry and to this day is in ministry except my baby sister who's now a nurse. Wow. So I was like the the you know the the black sheep in, in of the family you know mm -hmm. it wasn't they didn't love me but I, they were just like well 
what is he doing with his life? Yeah, you know? he's so and off that, the path. Yeah, that message was conveyed really strong. And so not only did I have the economic challenges right. and the fear challenges, but then where, where some people at least have some level of emotional and psychological support for what you're doing, you're as nice as my family shame. is, man, it was com- conveyed clearly all the time. Yeah. When are you coming home? When are you going to do something with your life? You know. And so it was, it was a lot to bear, even more than I realized. But there was just, it was my father in me, man. It was like this thing of like, there's this old Judeo-Christian sayings from the Old Testament says, without vision, people perish. Mm-hmm. And my dad's vision, in spite of obstacles, drove him like a marathon runner from the age of 20 when he was given an idea of what he should do with his life until 42 when he passed. Clearly. To his last breath and his dying words, it was that vision. Yeah. And so I just knew inside me I needed to do this. I needed to be a creator through music, through acting, whatever mediums were supplied to me, I needed to create. And so I booked this job. And of course, it doesn't run a year. It runs a month and a half. Yeah. I made not great money. Yeah. Um, but some money. But some money. Yeah. And, and what I did at that time is I said, you know, I've never had anything. And it's been, thank goodness I had that hard start because mm-hmm. I didn't do what some athletes do or really successful young actors. Because I had nothing, I said, I'm putting this money in the bank. Right. And even if I'm sleeping in my car, I will not touch it. Because, yeah, there's no guarantees. <laughs> and then I booked the next job and I put that money in the bank and I yeah. said, no matter what happens, even if I'm sleeping in my car, I will not touch it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned how to build. And that's why we're in your car right now. You <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Your we're sleeping in my car and there's money in the bank. No. Um, <laughs> But then when I was 30, I booked a job for Sony PlayStation and I got flown to Canada and without going through the whole narrative, what ended up happening was um, I ended up having a back injury on set and not wanting to put anybody out because I've been raised in this don't offend anybody environment. You know, I uh, when they asked to take me to the hospital, I was like, no. And I filmed for 14 hours in a back brace. They slipped money under my door to get a massage that night and um, which was very kind of the ad agency shy day. And um and uh, I asked if I wanted to go to the hospital. I was like, no. I could not walk out of the uh, hotel. Really? Thank goodness we were done filming. I ended up staying in Canada for two weeks. Just to recover. And just this mental fortitude I had, I walk, kept walking around the neighborhood. And I figured, well, nothing's broken. Well, I didn't understand what you could do to your back. Yeah. And so I get home. Uh, they ended up booking another weekend. I shot another 14 hours. And I got home. And I kept noticing this pain in my back when I was waiting tables and and I just, you know, typical guy thing. Oh, I got pain down my leg. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got these uh, pains. Whatever. I can't stand. Bones, whatever. I'm fine. Yeah. And one day I was skiing in Big Bear and I went off a jump at the end of the day and um, I felt something lurch and I began having organ problems. Whoa. And still for a week, wouldn't go to the doctor. <laughs> Finally went, put me in physical therapy. I got worse. I tried chiropractics. I tried every form of alternative therapy. And it's, it's a long story, but what ended up happening was, is, um, I finally, after a couple months of gritting and bearing it, I crawled through the front door of a friend's house who later told me I looked emaciated and asked for help. Yeah. And it was the first time in my life I ever said, I can't do this because I had been a survivor. I grew right. up Literally. you know, for years without a father and I had no money and I was fighting this battle of trying to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I felt so alone in the game. And some pride to you that wouldn't let you ask for help. I, yeah, well, what it was, yeah, I think there was, I'm sure there was a part of pride, but I think most of it was, was that, I didn't ever feel like I was supported. Mm. So I have to do this on my own. Right. There's no other option. It's, that was my option. 
And so they ended up, uh, thank God, being a family of stature. And so they made a phone call and got me in to see a surgeon. And the guy looked at the MRI and he's like, this is really bad. Yeah. And he ended up sending me to a doctor, the, another surgeon at Cedars-Sinai that said, this is one of the worst MRIs I've ever seen. Turns out I had an eight millimeter herniation. And to give you an idea, Christopher Reeve was nine millimeters. So if you you were right there, think of the difference. He yeah. literally said you could sneeze and be paralyzed for life. Yeah. Well, the day before surgery, it had been canceled. And it was like a universe God thing. Um, and uh, I ended up never having surgery and finding alternative means to heal myself. Wow. But I was close to paralysis. Yeah. And so five years not booking a commercial, I get a couple years past that, I'm almost paralyzed. Yeah. And I thought what I was supposed to do was be, because there were so many spiritual, spiritual uh, impactful things that happened during that time. You know, when you are physically suffering, which some listeners are, mm. um, maybe you have a chronic illness or um, uh, maybe you are taking care of somebody that is, it impacts you in every aspect of your senses. Uh, and especially for men, it can really bring a deep feeling of isolation and loneliness and work against your feeling of being strong and even your self-worth. Sure. And the back is something that is very debilitating and affects a lot of things. And so I thought, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have sex. Right. I don't know if things are going to function normally. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to lift weights or be strong or look good. Yeah. Forget modeling and acting. What yeah. am I going to be as a human? Right. And I had to wrestle through a lot of things. And during those very, very dark times, I was reviewing some stuff the other day. I was literally writing poetry about hoping one day I could run and jump again. You were just, you, were you unable to run and jump? or you? Were I was told I would never be able to. It, I mean, the, thing that I, the things that I've crawled out of that people, you know, you hear people's stories when they get to the finish line, yeah. but you don't often hear them when they're in the middle of it. Yeah. I'm not to my finish line yet. Yeah. You know, I'm like maybe a third of the way there. Right. You know, but the obstacles I had to overcome in order to get where I'm at mm -hmm. uh, were, were quite extensive and very private. Uh, a lot of my friends don't know these struggles. Yeah. But I overcame it and then, what ended up happening was I thought, well, dude, within the same two months of my back injury, the girl I thought I was going to marry left me for another man. I couldn't wait tables anymore and that had sustained me for eight and a half years. Right. I, I walk around all They day. felt so bad for me. They tried to give me a phone job up, up, you know, to answer phones for the restaurant mm -hmm. and I couldn't sit to do it. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I, uh, my, oh, I had been discovered by this agency, uh, the agency, a guy named Jerry Zeitman owned it. He saw me uh, in a short film and had discovered me a year prior. He decided to close the agency and let all like 14 or 15 so of his agents everything go. Everything got pulled out from underneath you. Everything. Every, and your I, physicality, everything. Dude, if you couldn't miss, if you missed that universal signal of like, boom, go this way, you know? Yeah. And so what I thought I was supposed to do was, uh, be in some form of self-help or ministry yeah and i said a prayer one day i said the first phone call that comes through i'll take it and my home phone had been reserved for telemarketers i had left my cell phone for all business purposes and i was laying on the floor because i'd been there basically for two months and my home phone rang and i picked it up and the voice in the other line said hey is this danny faceful i said well yeah he goes well this is sean groombridge i said well okay he's like uh, I the, was the music director of your stepfather and mother's church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. I mm -hmm. no longer work there. I've taken a job at the Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, next to Disneyland. Are you aware of where that's at? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I, um, 
one of the things they've thrown on my lap is to put together the uh, the the worship team, which is a group of singers in a band. Yeah. And it's not my expertise. I'm I'm an organist and a choir director. And he's like, I know you're a singer and actor in Hollywood. How far is that for you? I said about an hour. Yep. He said, Well, I don't have a budget to pay you, but would you be willing to do it? And I was obviously logically getting ready to turn this down so you just got an internship yeah <laughs> and this voice inside me said that's the first phone call that came through. yeah you said you take it and so i took it and i did it for a year and after a year i said i can't do this anymore without pay and i gave him a date and that date came and went mm-hmm. and i was laying on my bed taking a nap the afternoon of the date that i was no longer going to be there and i had a message from him on my phone that said hey um we'll see you at rehearsal 4 30 i thought no you won't yeah. this voice inside me goes go anyway yeah. and i started arguing with this voice and i said well they're wrong the voice said they are wrong go anyway so i thought i was talking to my child guilt conscience right 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 and i started reasoning with this voice and i got up and i'm arguing with this voice verbally as i walk out of the house and i drive the whole way down and i'm screaming at this voice and i'm like this is ridiculous this is the worst business decision you ever made and i walk out on stage and the organist and you got to remember this is the chris cathedral ten thousand member church 35 whatever million viewers a week longest running most viewed television show in history with yeah, robert Schuller. And you also have to remember that I had, I didn't mention this, I had been outside of Christianity for eight years and wanted nothing to do with religion. Right. And, um, but here you were. But here I was. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Yeah. You know, I've lost everything and I'm working for free in a church. Yeah. You know? And uh, I walk on a stage and said, hey, you play a little piano, right? And I was like, ah, I play enough to write songs. He goes, well, can you leave the singers in the middle of the set? and play the last two songs from the piano on the microphone. And my hands started shaking because I'd never played with a band. Our drummer was Josh Groban's percussionist, just to give you an idea. We had a full orchestra, right? And I was like, okay. So I did it. I somehow got through it. And I drove home and I said, okay, God, universe, whatever. Like, what's the purpose of this? And the next day the guy calls me and he said, hey, the Schulers never come on Sunday morning or Sunday night, but they came to check out the guest speaker, called me into... Uh, our office today and said, who was the guy that left the singers and went and played yep, the piano? Yep. Love what he did. Can we hire him on a regular basis to do that? And here's the dollar figure. And it was the exact dollar figure I'd asked for. Really? Yeah. So I ended up being groomed and graduated for three and a half years. And that's how I built my music resume. Yeah. And I, I was still out of, of the acting business. Right. So for seven years, <laughs> I had my toe in with commercials, but I had nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. I just thought I'm supposed to be the minister guy. I kid you not, dude. Until I was 30, I don't want to date myself, but I'm going to, 38 years of age. Yeah. I don't think I made more than 30000 $30, $30, a year, and many of those years were 2025. 20, I lived the long, hard road, and then something snapped inside of me at 38. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want the viewers or the listeners to hear, if I may. Yeah, please. Everything that is created is created through sound. Music, it was revealed to me, the reason it had such an impact in my heart is because it's the universal language. It requires no dialect mm-hmm. or language to speak it. You can play Bach in any language. Yeah. Okay? And when you look even at the Judeo-Christian faith system in Genesis, how are things created? By speaking into existence for six days. Right. So when you quantum physically break down who I even perceive to be you through my current lens of perception, mm-hmm. which others would see differently from their perception, right. what you're comprised of is sound and light. Yeah. 
sound like waves. That's waves it. Your energy. frequency, vibration. Yeah. That's the three ways of saying Which our eyes perceive to be a solid being sitting yep. in front of you. So I'd never heard of Tony Robbins or Wayne Dyer or Bob Proctor or Louise Hay or any of these people who are modern day pioneers of old sciences. Yeah. But, but I, at the age of 38, was just so tired of all of these spiritual journeys and watching all these other people seemingly be successful and have things that I desired in my heart. Right. And I said to God, I was literally flipping my finger off of the heavens one night and I said, why am I struggling so much economically with all of these radical spiritual journeys? Yeah. And this voice inside me, almost audible, dude, said, you know that definition of faith that that everybody quotes. I said, yeah, Paul wrote in the New Testament, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What? Yeah. And this voice whispers back to me, there's no faith without hope. Hope is the substance. Mm. I said, come again. And I was walking my Jack Russell Johnny, who's currently sitting on me. Super cute. And, um, he, I pause and he's looking up at me like, dad, come on now. I have to go to the bathroom. You know? <laughs> and this voice says to me, without vision, people perish. Hope deferred mm-hmm. makes the heart sick. And I thought about that for a second. I thought that's what was going on with my heart all those years. There was hope, desires of my heart that I had for so long and holding on to them and not seeing them come to fruition. Yeah. was harming my heart. Yeah. Things that had been spoken to me in my upbringing had harmed my heart things that had been programmed into my mind that weren't true that i believed that were lies against who i was yeah harmed my heart so i didn't know about any of these forerunners that i mentioned earlier but as i'm walking home all of these scriptures that i had been programmed with began flying through my head james wrote in james 1 life and death is in the tongue it's written in john 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god meaning whatever god was before anything came to be that you ascertained to be was the word yeah so i'm like then the proverbs for those that are jewish listening says whatever a man thinks or woman thinks in their heart so they become so i did this math equation really quickly in my head and i thought well when i was a kid i could believe for anything i remember since we were poor when i watched superman Instead of my mom going out and buying a cape and me pretending to be Superman, she clothes pinned a towel to my back. Mm-hmm. And I would go out in windy days and I thought I caught air, man. Yeah. You believed it. Some people jump off roofs, right? Yeah. And they don't go into pools and yeah. stuff. So I thought, what happened to that? Right. What happened to my childlike imagination? Where, yeah. where did that go? And I thought, I've been programmed by scholastic system, historical systems, uh, religious systems, parents, social friends, structures. social structures. Yeah. There's so many lies in me. I don't even know what's in there. But here what is what must be true. I must be able to get back to believing and thinking and creating like a child again. Yeah. So maybe I'll just take the directives that were spoken in my brain tonight from what was written on my heart through programming. Mm-hmm. So I began walking around my house every day, all day. I kid you not. You ever watch The Rock on Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's got a model that says the mind leads, the body follows. Yeah. So I thought, okay. So I walked around my house all day long every day. And here's what I said. I'm the number one commercial actor in the world. All I do is book commercials. Everywhere I go, everyone hires me. Yeah. Now, some people do that like the, like a diet. They start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Right. I did it all day, all every day. day. In my car, two auditions, at auditions, specific with the job. Within two weeks, I booked a job for Ford. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after that, I booked a job. I was on a plane to Toronto. And someone had... Um, 
taken uh, uh, one of my last pieces of money um, that I had saved through the years. And that exact dollar figure was what I was getting paid for that job. Within that year, I shot 20 spots. And that was my first year doing this. And at the end of that next year, I did a commercial that went viral. And it ended up being the front page of Adweek. And they said my commercial changed advertising globally. And they called it Truth in Advertising. What was the commercial? Uh, They flew me to Sweden. And I shot this commercial for Nordnet, which is a a Scandinavian bank. It was only supposed to run in Europe. And when Mm -hmm. they put it on YouTube... It ended up on like 200 news channels. And in wow. fact, uh, a couple of days after that, Good Morning America did a story about me and my commercial, Anna Kedrick for Newcastle and Ving Rames for Arby's because those two spots had failed in their advertisement to do what they said they were going to do. Yeah. So Ving Rames narrated a, a cup of Pepsi and he was like, sorry, we were supposed to put Pepsi in our spots and we forgot. <laughs> uh, Anna Kedrick did something for Newcastle, but my commercial was the lead in yeah. and the close of it. Yeah. And they called that article or that news segment on Good Morning America Truth in Advertising. Wow. And there have been so many commercials from, uh, I mean, I didn't write it, I just was an actor in it, but uh, E Trade with, um, who is it? Um, Pete Holmes was the baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, uh, Dennis Quaid is doing it right now, right? He, yeah, yeah, E-Trade, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's E-Trade. Yeah. Where he's ta- walking and talking to the camera, mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm just going to tell you exactly what's going on. Hey, I'm yeah. in the middle of this. The walk and well, talk. Yeah, so all these other commercials have followed suit after because of that advertisement, really? but got to hand it to Sweden, man. They thought of it first. It's just me narrating to a camera. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there going, hey, I'm an actor. I've been... Oh, so it's that breaking of the fourth wall. It just, was it. It was the first time it's been done, which we've yeah. seen a million times now. Like Old yeah. Spice Guy. Yeah, and that's right. All, you know, it's been, you know, jumped the shark at this point. But I mean, everything, your story is incredible, by the way, first of all. And I want to take it back to the idea of the energy you bring into the room. Because it seems like you you reprogrammed your brain. I did. And and think about how far I came right. from my energy being so repellent simply from fear. Yeah. To being at a place where people are like, hey, I want to hire that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that because, you know, in college, because of my insecurity, because of my anxiety... I came off as like very dickish. Like I was known as the scowl. And you probably weren't. And I what I didn't want to be. Yeah. But like that was just a defense mechanism. Absolutely. And like there were a lot of situations like my college friends will tell you about this. Like like where like I would just rub people the wrong way seemingly for no reason. Yeah. You know, like at a bar or like at a campsite yeah. or just like driving on the road. It's like, what the fuck am I putting out there? <laughs> that people are so like they respond with like vitriol uh-huh. and I don't know what it was for me that unlocked, I don't know, just like the easing of the brow and just like being more welcoming. Um, So I'm curious, you know, obviously you did your affirmations and told yourself you're the best commercial actor and you book every role. That was what I started with. What I didn't, what came after that was I had no idea what self-love was. Because yeah, it doesn't stop there. And it wasn't until my early 40s that I even began that pilgrimage. Yeah. And the last number of years of my life, see, because I didn't specifically date myself, (laughs) um, few years of my life, have really been a journey of even understanding what self-love is. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're raised in any level, strict or religious environment, it's all about service to others. Right. And in, in fact, it's something... Self-transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. We all need to be more helpful and in, in giving in this we world. Do. But my default was everything that in my introversion I would step into because I, I acquired it through really a lot of painful, long journeys. I just wanted to bring to people. Yeah. And I'm curious, I don't know, like when you walk into a room, whether it be a commercial casting or testing for a big, you know, recurring role on a soap, like, what are you thinking? What's in your head? 
I don't know what other people go through, but now you know a little of my backstory. Yeah. I have to work through an incredible amount of biologically programmed fear. Yeah. Every and time. Every time. Yeah. Uh, it's getting better. Well, that's like um, in the War of Art they talk about. I think it's Peter Fonda would throw up before every performance. Yeah. Like till his 70s, 80s. Yeah. He's just physiological. physiological. And I had a, a girlfriend. I have an ex-girlfriend who's a singer. And she... Her throat would close up when yeah. she knew a performance was coming, yeah. and like I've I've found that people who have that sort of response, that resistance is means you're so close to doing what you need to do that your body's like one last ditch effort to prevent you from doing it. Yeah, and yeah. I think when you have that sort of response and that sort of yeah physiological those physiological effects, that means you're on the right path. But yeah. powering through it's not easy. So obviously you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it, it's really been the last number of years of my life that I've learned how to. I mean, if you think about it, that it took me until wasn't I? I didn't book jobs, you know, until I was thirty eight. But but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't full time. Like a couple times, you know, you book yeah. a couple jobs a year or something. There's a lot of people in that world. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of people who like. I was just talking to someone who's like, yeah, I booked something in May, and I yeah. was like. It's February. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, and she, and she's also like, I'm just not going out, and that's a whole nother story. But yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of people who book, and they, I mean, the market's pretty saturated, but there are a lot of people who work full time as well. Well, think about the rock. What the rock says, um, you got to be the hardest worker in the room. Yeah. Um, I was complaining uh, about how exhausted I was yesterday, and I got this incredible blessing as I was entering this two day acting seminar, where I'm being thrown scenes and preparations and just like no sleep. Uh, and I got this incredible opportunity to do a self tape for a show I really want to be on. Yeah. And it, you know, it was, uh, to be honest, it was like my first major theatrical audition of the year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm stressed about that cause that's where I think the priority should go. So I texted a friend who had done the class and I was like, uh, <laughs> shouldn't my priority be with this self tape, not these scenes for class. And she yeah. wrote back, she said, I don't even have a context to answer you. What are you complaining about? Right. The work is the work is the work is the work. And I'm thinking, she's being so insensitive, right? <laughs> this is my shot. I haven't slept, and, yeah. you know. And you know what? I learned that I was more capable than I even thought I was. Yeah. And I thought I was the hard, one of the hardest workers in the room. Yeah. I think I think how people uh, can up their game, it's, right. a, it's a combined effort. Number one... Um, I think that you have to determine to be the hardest worker in the room and yeah. you have to do it with consistency. You have to be it. You can't just say you're it. You can't just want to be it. You have to be it. You have to show up every day, no matter how you feel like, whether you're sick or not. Yeah. And if you uh, will not beat your body into submission by with that mental fortitude, no matter how you feel. Right. See, all emotions are subconscious thoughts. They're reprogrammed. And it's proven neurologically by neurologists that you can reprogram your brain in four days. Yeah. So I can line three people up on my couch and say to the first, you know, to all of them, here's what you got to do for success, right? Mm -hmm. First person won't do it. Second person will start, stop, start, stop, start, yep. stop. Like the diet mentality that most sure. of America is. And the third person does it. Who gets the success? It's the third person that does it, mm -hmm. right? But you have to do it with consistency. And right. that's the same with speaking your affirmations. If you weren't doing it with consistency, yeah. you're not going to create with consistency. No, not at all. Right. So uh, I think first and foremost, people buy energy, whether they understand that they're buying it or not. I think that's 100% true. Uh, we used to call it it, and they couldn't define it. Oh, they just had it. To get the it factor. Well, yeah. if you didn't grow up with a lot of criticism or judgment, and you were affirmed a lot, 
you're oblivious, generally speaking, to it in the energy of the room. Mm -hmm. For those of us that grew up with a lot of it, you walk into a room and that energy is so familiar that you have to biologically find a way to rise above it. And that was me. Yeah. And the only way you get there is to retrain your biology through what you say and you think on a disciplined daily basis. Yeah. Um, uh, so be the hardest worker in the room, change the way you speak and you think. And, uh, and then I would say, um, man is like any way in which you can, uh, uh, broaden the, the, uh, the learning scope Mm -hmm. uh, of your life, do that. Because I think, um, you know, anything that I have ever learned, uh, um, intellectually or spiritually or creatively or otherwise has come from curiosity. You know, the yeah. Dalai Lama says replace judgment with curiosity. Yeah. I love so curiosity. I have always just gravitated to people that I know no more than me in any given area. And I've treated them like gurus in my mind and I've sought them out and sat at their feet and listened. Yeah. And especially in this industry, it's like, you can never stop learning. Oh my gosh. Take man. a stunt course to learn a language, learn an accent, learn, you know, learn how to dance, learn how to, it's all useful. That's right. It's all, it can, it comes into that, that idea of like, learn to drive a motorcycle for your life, but then that's also a useful skill because you have your M1 and then you can use it on a commercial. So like, it all reinforces, it broadens your life and then also broadens your career. Yeah, it's like when I listened to Podcast 28 with, with you and, Emily, and yeah. Emily, Uh, I was like, man, this guy has a much broader experience than I have ever had in shooting photos. I need to pick his brain. <laughs> I need to look at his portfolio and I need to find better ways of shooting pictures because because uh, pictures and wardrobe has been something that has never been a natural yeah. uh, thing for me. Really? Yeah, it's I not. Like you always walk in on par. It's, like, it's it's taken me a lot of work to get there. Yeah. And it's usually because I'm asking other people, what should I wear? You well, know? that's what I always tell people is like, you want to book a commercial role? Like watch commercials. What are people wearing in yeah. target spots? What does it look like? It's not what you would wear. It's what is the, what does the director see when he's doing a target barbecue spot? You know, and that's probably based on tropes from previous commercials. Yeah. Unless he's got some radical new idea, which hopefully they'll explain to you in the breakdown. But if not, go with, you know, Occam's razor and pick the, the safest choice. Yeah. Danny Hoff, who I've, uh, I'm his, I believe I'm his longest client. I've been with him uh, 26 years this year. I'm with him as well. Yeah. Are you? Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Um, he brought me in, in my late twenties and he said, Hey, if I didn't think you were talented, I would have dropped you. Really? He said, um, I can't get you out. See these guys on the wall. And that's yeah. when we had hard copy pictures. Yeah. He said, he said, uh, these guys are going out sometimes a couple times a day. I said, well, what I got to do? He goes, shoot pictures like them. I was like, I'm looking at them, yep. and I was in good shape yep. or decent shape, um, and they seemed a bit uh, average. Softer. Softer, yeah. yeah. Blue collar, working class, you know. Yeah, which is a big category. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if that's who's auditioning at the moment, mm-hmm. how can I be like that? So I went out and studied their pictures. Study their pictures, work, talk, study the photographers. I studied the photographers. I went out, and and I didn't, I'm horrible at shopping clothes, and I had no money. Yeah. So I just thrift shopped everywhere I could and literally bought clothes that looked exactly like those pictures. Right. These days, because I learned that, um, I have, I think something like 30 plus pictures in my portfolio with Danny Hoff. Yeah. And you constantly update it. And I have every look that you can think of to market me because that's what you do in commercials. Right. And do you think those looks coincide with some spectrum of who you are? Are you branching out into like 
weird tech guy. And like, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, when I first started my headshots, it's like, yeah, like Mountain Dew guy. It's like, but you start to narrow down to who you really are. Absolutely. And that, those are the roles you're going to book. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Yeah, I think that's that's wise. And that's, yeah. you know, something I would also receive from you. Um, I, I, I think for me, you know, I, we kind of touched on this earlier, but like I had to learn to find my own voice. And it's yeah. interesting that music was my starting point. It was a number of years ago, I think about seven or eight, that my girlfriend at the time said, hey, I had this dream. And in the dream, you were playing a piano and it fell down a, a hill and it crashed to a tree. And should I actually talked to a dream interpreter about it? And the dream interpreter said, oh, his money's in his voice. Really? And almost instantaneously, I went out and took a, uh, two classes in voiceover. I got a voiceover agent. And um, you do a lot of voiceover work. I do. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm grateful. I'm with Innovative Artists, and they're just yeah. the most amazing group of agents I've ever worked in my life. I couldn't say enough about them. Uh, just kind, uh, just amazing people. And they've yeah. been very good to me. Um, but uh, when I looked at my track record, most of my successes in commercials and that ended up being my successes in commercials over the last seven, eight years and what also took off for me in voiceover and what I've done in music mm -hmm. all center around finding my voice. And it's really? my voice that's been the success. Finding your voice, like physically tuning the instrument or finding the voice of who you are? Well, or both. Yeah. So just as your heart is for spiritual, then emotional and physical, mm -hmm. right? Your voice is the same. And when I aligned my thinking and what I was speaking into existence was true for what I desired. Yeah. Um, at almost simultaneously next to that, the successes of my life began to be as a spokesperson for brands. Right. So a lot of what I have gotten hired to do over the last eight years is to walk and talk to the camera for companies. Yeah. Because uh, you exude that. I don't know if it's confidence or it's just like... Um, it's because I found my voice. Yeah, yeah. It's what it is. I mean, it, it, at a certain point, once I began to speak authentically mm -hmm. as me... Because look, there's always haters. Always. You know? I was filming in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago and I got the opportunity to go uh, see uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Historic Park. Mm -hmm. So you got Ebenezer Church, the Peace Walkway where he and Coretta are buried in his home that he was raised in all on the same side of the street for three blocks. Wow. And I sat in Ebenezer Church and it was like, for 45 minutes, no one walked in. It was like I had been brought to Atlanta for that. Mm -hmm. And as I walked out, I said, why was that so spiritually impactful? And why did I feel such a presence all these years after his passing? And his voice on me said, because God or the universe or Elohim or whatever name you want to use for all that is, that entity, the energy of all that is, dwells with the truth. Mm-hmm. And I thought back, I thought, isn't it interesting that I went viral years ago on a campaign that they said changed advertising and they called it both in Good Morning America and and uh, Adweek, truth in advertising. Truth in advertising. And so when I found my personal truthful voice mm. and I began taking that into rooms, not everybody loves me. No. And nobody ever will. But because I reside within that honesty, yeah. Uh, those who are going to gravitate to me, it's like magnetic. Well, I mean, that's the most attractive thing I can think of is a person who's fully like realized. You know, I had a friend in college who was from Montana, and he just had, like, in Seinfeld they call it the Kavorka, 
Like everyone's just attracted to them, like men, women. It's just because he's just coming from such a place of honest truth. And I'm curious. I mean, I could talk to you all night long, but um, how? Hey, man, you can break this into yeah. We could do segments later in the year if you want to keep talking. So, what? How do you get to that place of finding truth in your own voice? Is it just through introspection? Because you obviously found this vision, like your father, of I'm. You know, I'm the best commercial actor. I'm the best actor. I'm the best this, that. But how did you know you were being truthful with yourself? There's no way for me to answer that in a sentence. So let me just give you a segment and then, you know, we'll see what carries through here. Um, Obviously, I was raised in the Judeo-Christian faith system, meaning on the Bible. And if we had time to talk about my spiritual journey since, even though I work in a church... Um, I have very different views than religion and it's a much broader spectrum. So yeah, I don't I want anyone to listen to think that I'm adhering to a religion because I'm the antithesis of that. I mm-hmm. happen to think that God is not religious and that um, uh, true spirituality is, is uh, way more encompassing than that. But yeah, for, for answering purposes, um, whoever Yeshua who became Jesus uh, in, in the modern tongue was, there was this period of time where he was brought into the deepest suffering that he had yet experienced in his life. And if you look at his life, we only know about three years of it, from 30 to 33, but he was known in Isaiah as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, which is utilized in Handel's Messiah, um, um, uh, despised and rejected of men. And I used to think, well, how's a guy who was love and compassion who just healed right. people, like, so hated? And he's in these last three days of his life, and he's facing immense torture and torment and he speaks to no one and he's brought, you know, in front of the religious crowd and, you know, he says nothing. And so they send him to uh, the governmental system, Caesar, and he doesn't know what to do with him. He says nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he sends him back to this middle guy who gets caught in the middle pilot, whose yeah. wife has a dream, right? Who uh, sees him as innocent. And so she says, Hey, look, don't, don't do anything to this guy because this is an innocent man. So pilot out of fear, like he talks to him. And he asks him a question, and it's and it's translated two different ways. He says, uh, what's your purpose? Another translation says, why did you come? Mm-hmm. And that's the person Jesus decides to speak to, the non-religious, non... Uh, the middleman. Yeah, he's the middleman. The middleman. And he says, I came to reveal the truth. To him or her who know the truth, they are free mm-hmm. indeed. And I meditated on that for a long time. And... One day I, I met a guy a few years ago who incredibly impacted my life on every level spiritually. He's an African man. And he said to me, um, Danny, you know, the truth does indeed set you free, he said, but you'll never know the truth until you first get honest with yourself. Right. So I went through this journey in my mind and I began allowing myself to discover moment to moment as it came to me, not in that moment, but for days and years following, um, is this belief or this thought that's programmed here or that rises up in the situation, is that mine? Mm-hmm. And do I really believe that? Or is that simply a program that was put there? Seven-year-old me believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And so I began unraveling as it came thoughts and beliefs that were not my own. And I'm still doing that and will forever be doing that. And a lot of that comes back. It's like mindfulness, just watching your thoughts, observing them, considering them. Is that mine? It's like Louise, hey, a thought is a thought and a thought can be changed, right? Yeah. So thoughts simply float through you and we have a tendency to personalize them. But they could be lies that were programmed there from 
even in years that you don't remember them being put there. Yeah. They could be subliminal from something you watched in a movie or an advertisement. Oh, yeah. It floated through your mind and you you latched onto it without realizing it. And you've never questioned whether or not that's actually yours and you believe that's it. that mine, yeah. So the closer I'm getting to continually throughout my life aligning my thoughts with my personal truth, mm-hmm. the more of what comes out of my mouth is aligned with my personal truth. And the more that that is aligned, the more impact for good that it has. Yeah. Both for me and hopefully for others. Well, it's definitely impacting me for good. This has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> um, wow. I, like I said, I could talk to you forever. But do you have, for this segment, sure. do, you, do you have like just a last tidbit of advice? We've given so many gems. I can't ask you for more. But I don't know. I don't even want to pin it to commercials or theatrical or actors or models or anything. But just people. People trying to be more model in their behavior. What would you say to them? If you could just say one thing. The term, the word love mm. is something that we throw around and it's a nebulous word, right? It's um, it's non-quantifiable. I love you. I love pizza. Right. I love you. I'm not in love with you. Yeah. There's three words in Greek and Hebrew for it. You know, in, in Greek, and uh, I think that's um, agape, uh, phileo, and eros. Mm-hmm. So there's levels that humans Different, tried to place yeah. to it. And yet they still have no idea what they're talking about. Right. So the whole world's saying what the world needs now is love, love, love. And everyone writes songs about love and varying various understandings of it. And I wish I could tell you how I arrived at it. But what I will say is this, is that when people now ask me what I, love is, here's what I say. It is the energy that comprises all that is. Mm-hmm. And that includes you. So you never have to acquire anything in this life. All you need to do is to awaken to who you are. And if you will simply embrace yourself as you are now and learn to love every aspect of yourself as you are now, Mm. that will create not only a better quality of life, but more successes in anything that you decide to place your voice or your hand to. Because love is the energy of all that is. And it will, in essence, merge you with the forward movement of the constant expansion of the multiverses that are participating with that energy that which creative, comprises that you. creative energy you talked about at the beginning. That is it. Way to tie it back. When does your book come out? Because <laughs> I want to read it. Um, damn, man. I don't know what else to say besides you should just drop your mic and get out of here. <laughs> hey, man, can I just say thank you? Uh, yeah, please. For th- thank you for um, many times people have encouraged me to do podcasts and write books and things like that. And I marvel, you know, my friend Gary Guerrier, who's another actor, he, uh, he just wrote his first book and I, he didn't even tell me he was doing it. Yeah. And I didn't know you ran a podcast until you mentioned me on Instagram the other day. And so I am just so impressed with people, uh, when the universe or whatever gives them a challenge to do something that instead of it being a conversation piece, they actually with diligence and consistency go out and do it. Yeah. I mean, so hats off to you, man. I'm impressed. It's it was curious about what it would be like to have a podcast, and then I was diligent about getting it done, and it's still a work in progress, but I'm enjoying it. So I love it. Thanks for having me be a yeah, part. Thanks for being on, man. I can't thank you enough. All right, thank bye, you. kids. <laughs>